Hey there, Amanda Smith here, and welcome inside another edition of How She Did It. I'm so happy to have you here with me, so make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So today's guest is a former track and field star. You've seen her on ESPN, and now she is the CEO of her own talent development company, Four Leaf Productions. Here is Jill Montgomery. time and joining me on the show. Absolutely my pleasure. I'm so happy to talk to you. I'm so happy to talk to you. I, I went to school in Indiana. I went to Ball State. You've got your Notre Dame shirt on so I feel this Midwestern connection with you right now. Yeah it's it's that's my anybody that knows me knows that I am a diehard Notre Dame fan. However there's been I need to clear up rumor. I never went to Notre Dame. I, I had the opportunity to but that I was a track and field athlete and that was not the place to run track. I chose the Pac-10 at the time because it was the best conference, much to the chagrin of my mother. But everybody <laughs> knows I'm a diehard Notre Dame fan. That's I am a huge Duke basketball fan. Yes. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, you went to school there. And I'm like, yeah, totally. <laughs> no. I definitely did. You mentioned your time as a former athlete. Yes. I was reading that you said, you know, when your athletic career was over, what really drew you to broadcast was wanting to tell people's stories. Yeah. Uh, to you, what's significant about sharing a part of someone's journey? I think that when you're an athlete and you live on a, a pretty big stage, you only show the public part of what that persona is. Um, in our world t today, and, and even when I was competing, the, the public sees what they want to see. They see the superstar and how they expect you to act. And you're always supposed to be, quote unquote, on. And what most people don't realize is it's a minor part of what makes up that athlete. Athletes have problems and relationship troubles and family troubles and financial troubles and day-to-day -day troubles and health problems, just like everybody else in the world. And so to be able to get inside of them and, and know what it's like to be on the athletic side, but also empathize with the human side of athletes, I think those are the most important stories to be told. You recently posted a picture on your Instagram and you said that you didn't start your broadcast career until you were 36. Yeah. You've never been on camera mm -mm. and you were told you'd never make it. Million what, times. What made you believe that you could? There's a there's a drive in me when I put my mind to something. Um, starting a, a sports broadcasting career at 36, everybody, literally, I cannot tell you how many times people said to me, you're crazy. <laughs> You're never going to make it. What do you think? You're just going to go be on ESPN? And I looked at them and I'm like, yeah. Um, it was something that I really wanted to do. And I knew that if I did the work, and that's something that 90% of this industry now doesn't understand, the work that it takes to make it to the level I have, lucky, you know, luckily for me that I've been on ESPN for nine years, the work that I put in, I I worked two other jobs when I started my sports broadcasting career so that I could afford my talent development coach, Lou Riggs, at the time in Los Angeles. God rest his soul. He passed away. However, I just wanted to do it so badly. So I was going to give it a million percent for a time frame and say, OK, if I if I feel a little progress, I'll keep going and keep going and keep going. 
But I also think that that's the athlete in me. You, you, no matter how good you are, you constantly can get better. And for me, I happen to be in a, a stage of life where I could do it. Um, I put my mind to it. And I relentlessly went to my talent development coach and got beat up every single week and kept coming back for more and went back and kept per perfecting the, the fundamentals and the content and the delivery to become, I guess, what I am today. <laughs> you talk about your talent development coach. Yeah. Now you are the CEO of your own yeah. talent development company. Yeah. What was the motivation behind starting that for you? It was weird. It was twofold. It was a couple, a few years ago, um, I had been throughout my career, I had been contacted by a lot of young broadcasters. And you know, can you help me? Can you look at my reel? How did you get your job? So, for, so on and so forth. And I also was in a job, I was in a, a career, I was working on Wall Street as a, as a, as a broker. And I, I didn't love it. I mean, it was wonderful. It's a big job. I was going between LA and New York all the time for about four years. Um, for an amazing company in Los Angeles that's owned by the Jebbia family who are incredible people. They're like my second family, but I just didn't love it. And I, I knew that there was something else that I needed to be doing and I needed to work for myself. So I went to St. John on vacation with one of my friends and I sat on a beach and I literally wrote the business plan for Four Leaf because I thought, why don't I turn what I know the 11 years of experience, the 11 years of relationships, the 11 years of everything in the sports broadcasting business and see if I can now give back and help those that are up and coming because since the beginning of digital and all these other platforms, everybody and their brother wants to be a sports broadcaster and it just exploded. And there's not a ton of, of help and talent development and agents and network executives and even other talent that's on TV I'm sure they can look at your reel, but they're going to give you one or two little, yeah, you need more reps, you need more energy, you need this or that, but they're not actually going to develop you. So I thought, let me get this concept in mind. I took it to who I call my board of directors in my sports broadcasting world, which are some pretty big execs at Fox and some big agents at some big agencies. And I said, I have this idea. What do you think? And each one of them said, 100% yes, we'll help you. So two and a half, almost three years ago, I created Four Leaf and now here we are. And it's it's been an incredible ride. What's been the most enjoyable part of this chapter of your journey for you? Oh, wow. I would have to say watching my clients get better and get jobs and, and get that next level, whatever it is, whether it's an agent, whether it's a gig, whether it's a one-off or just them seeing their improvement and, and watching them on television and seeing that I had a very small piece to do with their success. When you talk about aspiring broadcasters, a lot of them usually watch the show. Shout out to y'all. Hey, what's up? Hey, <laughs> hey. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. <laughs> keep going. We all need that reminder some days. Yes. But what advice would you give to them about the work that it takes to put into something like this? Whatever amount of work you think it's going to take to be on an actual network show or a regional sports network, and it, it's 10 times more that work. 
it's it's not what you see in the box. Everybody thinks that, oh, it's glamorous. And is are people telling you what to say in your ear when you're interviewing coaches and athletes? Absolutely not. The amount of preparation and research that goes into any television job at any level, whether it's local, regional, but especially at the network level, you have to do so much work and prep. And you've got to know whatever sport you're covering. You have to know the vocabulary. You have to know all of the different facets of how that sport works. Um, and if you're hosting something, you also now have to not only know your content, but now you have to become a broadcaster. You can't talk like you talk in real life. If, if you're a former athlete, you can't talk like you're in a locker room. You have to now speak like a broadcaster and be polished and have amazing delivery that shows your personality, but also shows your knowledge in your content. So the amount of work that it takes to actually be a really good broadcaster, in my opinion, is tenfold what anybody thinks it is. We all need to go to jail. Oh my gosh, you just got like a hundred new clients today. Hello. Give us a call. We'll help you out. Yeah, no, we, 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 we do well. Our clients do really well here. You know, we have an open door policy. Um, it, it's, we've got a lot of clients and we work with a lot of the big agencies and a lot of the boutique size agencies, you know, all the networks and we develop a lot of their talent um, in certain areas. Some, some talent is sent to us that just needs to say, they're like, Hey, we need to work on her interviewing or, Hey, can you work on his delivery? And, and then other people just will come and it's all encompassing from A to Z. And we help our clients get agents. We help our clients get jobs if we can. I'm not, an, I'm not an agent. I'm not a manager. But because of the relationships I have in this business and the network executives and all the people that I work with, if, there, if there's a one-off or if there's a handful of games or something that we feel one of our clients is fit for, absolutely, we'll, we'll put them in touch with whoever is, is in that sphere of hiring and say, Hey, take a look at this person. And you know, it's, it's turned out pretty well for a lot of my clients. Well, shout out to you for, for taking the time to give back. I love it. Yeah, no, it's, 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 I never in a million years thought that this would come tenfold that what I was doing 11 years ago and how important I thought it was that I now would turn it into, it's my passion and it's my business. And I quit my job on wall street. And now it's, you know, my, obviously my ESPN gigs when I'm working, um, which is about half the year. And then the entire year I get to do this. Look at your life. Look at the dream. The it's dream. Pretty, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I'm very, very grateful. Uh, but there's, there's been a lot of bumps and bruises to get here. It's been a lot of work. What are some of the maybe experiences you went through when you mentioned the bumps and bruises? Were there moments where you thought I don't know if I'm going to get there? Yeah, 100%. Um, just being told no 5,000 times. Being told that you're not good enough. You're not, you're not experienced enough. You're not well-known enough. You're not a name. You're not this. You're not that. The sports broadcasting world is very subjective. And it's very, there's a lot of rejection that comes with it. it it's very difficult to stomach a lot of the things that are said. And especially when you're a woman um, and you are not a model and you don't look a certain way or you might have extra pounds on your body and 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 there's a lot of things that are judged i believe on the women's side that aren't judged on the men's side and and as a woman and even as a human being period that's really hard to hear and i was told i wasn't wasn't good enough i i wasn't a big enough name i didn't have enough experience 
and I just kept coming back. I went back and I kept polishing my skills. At, I started out at El Segundo Community Cable. It's like local access cable in El Segundo. It's run out of the back of El Segundo High School. It's like the lowest of the low. And I treated that place like it was ESPN. And, you know, thank God to the, the people that ran it, Dan O'Toole and Chris Lay, they, they just let me have free reign. And I produced everything and I wrote everything and I learned how to do it. But being told no for a long time and, and being able to keep coming back after hearing those no's and believing in yourself, I think that's the biggest, was the biggest hurdle I had to get over. Cassidy Hubbard was once on this little show. She's amazing. 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 Phenomenal. And she said that uh, when you're told no, it's not just about hearing it, but also getting to a point where you yourself have to say no to some things because they don't fit maybe the path or the journey you see for yourself. Did you experience anything like that? Um, I didn't because in my mind I had blinders on. And social media, Instagram and FaceTime and that, they, they were, Instagram didn't exist when I started. Twitter was, Twitter was there and, and so was Facebook. I don't have Facebook, so I don't know how it works, but Twitter was the only kind of social media platform, but now, and digital didn't exist 11 years ago. All these digital platforms, they just didn't exist, which is crazy to think of, but you, you didn't have the distractions, in my opinion, when I was coming up to where everybody else is coming up now. And you, you get distracted by social media. And it, it's a lot more difficult for people now because they're comparing themselves to people. And they, they're looking at other people's social media or things that could be happening or maybe not be as you know straightforward as it seems like on social media. And that also puts another little little skeleton inside you that, oh, wow, someone else is, is going up further than me or they're getting jobs ahead of me. And that kind of stuff didn't exist. So I think if you block all that noise out and you're able to put the blinders on and just be able to work on you and believe that you have the tools to do this, not worried about what other people are doing, and then keep your circle small and have get feedback, hire a talent development coach, somebody, you know, somebody to where you're actually getting feedback, not, yeah, you need more reps. And be able to just know if you believe that you can do this. I tell all my clients all the time, and if any of them see this, they're going to be like, we hear it 10,000 times a day. <laughs> it's never going to be on your time. No one's coming knocking at your door to give you a job. It's not, there, it's not going to be when you want it. It's going to be when you least expect it, but it's, you're going to be ready for it if you keep those blinders on and you work your tail off to be the best writer, have great broadcasting chops, have great delivery, be yourself, be a personality, do the homework, know your stuff. It will happen, but it's not going to happen on your time, but the time will come. The time will come. And comparison is the thief of joy. Woo. Don't compare yourself to other people. And it, it's, it, it, it's not, it's just, it's, it's a poison. It's a toxic. It, it, you can't, you can't do it. I, it, it, it's tough not to, because you see all these other things happening around you in social media and, and you hear about stuff and you're like, well, that's not me. And I want to be that. Just worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. Take care of all of those little things for you. And those bigger things will eventually take care of themselves. Okay, guys, so we're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. Next, Jill and I are playing a quick rapid fire game. Oh, yes. Yay. Oh, yeah. Are you tired of looking for your phone, dropping it, or having to carry it around on your hand all the time? 
With Hubsy, you can wear your phone by a crossbody strap attached to the phone case. Hubsy makes practicality look good. Phone case necklaces have been a huge success in Europe and are finally available in the U.S. Visit www.hubsy.com and save 20% using the code LOCKED. That's www.hobsy.com and the code LOCKED to save 20% and see for yourself how a Hubsy phone case necklace will simplify your life. Just check where your phone is now. Are you carrying it in your hand? Is it lying around where you can't reach it? Or will you have to look for it later? Maybe it's lost in the depth of your bag somewhere. Wear your phone on you with a Hoobsy phone case. Visit www.hoobsy.com, H-O-O-B-S-Y.com, and be quick to save 20% using the code LOCKED. By the way, Hoobsy phone case necklaces are the perfect gift at an affordable price. Friends will love you for a super useful gift. Have your hands free, but be spontaneous to take pictures or make quick calls and never look for your phone again. Check out hoobsy.com for yourself or a great present to your friends. Welcome back inside How She Did It here with Jim Montgomery. We're just playing a quick rapid fire get to know you game. So, <laughs> okay. Jill, most memorable moment as an athlete? Ooh, as an athlete. Most memorable moment as an athlete. Gosh dang, I had so many. Um, <laughs> I actually would say when I. I won the conference championship at Kansas State, and my score at the time in the multis put me fifth all time in the United States ever for the for the multis, and that was that was that was pretty big back then. That was that was big yep. for me. Nope, that's still big now. That's still big. <laughs> I'm not fifth anymore. Everybody else has surpassed me, but back then I was fifth all time ever in the United States. Okay, most memorable moment as media. Oof. My gosh. Oh, yikes. Um, I've interviewed the most incredible people in the world in sports. Um, hosting the Wooden Awards are up there. With, I, host, I, I, I hosted the, uh, the Hall of Fame event before the actual Wooden Awards with, with all the Hall of Famers and, and gentlemen like Jerry West and Carl Malone and, and interviewed them. Um, I, I would have to say that, that that's pretty big up there okay have you ever been starstruck oh man i lived in la for so many years so it was it's have i ever been <laughs> starstruck um it could be like a celebrity too yeah i actually have and i can't believe i'm about to tell this story oh my gosh john, john patrick flannery is an actor that was in boondock saints he that's kind of the big movie boondock saints I had the biggest crush on Sean Patrick Flannery for so many years. And I was in a club in Los Angeles about 15 years ago and I had to use the restroom. And there was a huge line outside the women's bathroom, but there wasn't anybody in the men's bathroom. So I was like, yeah, I've got enough confidence. I'm gonna peep, pop on over there and jump in the men's bathroom. Well, as I was going in, Sean Patrick Flannery was walking into the men's bathroom and he looked at me and was like, I'm like, do you see the line? He goes, come on, I'll help you. And so there was a bathroom attendant in the bathroom. And so Sean Patrick Flannery kept the bathroom attendant kind of occupied while I jumped in and used the restroom at a club in, in L.A. So I was kind of starstruck because I, I adore him. 
I'm just start start carrying this story. Iconic. That is so crazy and cool. It's just so random. I can't even believe I, I told you that story. Yeah. So yeah, starstruck Sean Patrick Flannery. But if I had if I if I had to say start like if I if there was somebody I think that would I don't I don't really get starstruck. Right. But if I ever walked into a, a building or a room where Idris Elba was, I probably would pass out. That's how I feel about like everyone I come in contact with. So we're relating on this level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't get Star Trek very often, but yeah. So Sean Patrick in the bathroom was, that was an interesting uh, moment. Okay. Wildest thing you've ever done for TV. Oh, this one's easy. Um, I was doing an Alabama game, Alabama football, uh, probably six or seven years ago. And my producer at the time, Alabama was beating whoever they were playing um, in the third quarter. And there's a restaurant in right next to the stadium called Rama Jamas, and they're known for their huge sandwiches. So they had a, a national championship BLT and a national championship cheeseburger that they have on their menu. And they have, at the time, it was 14 or 15 pieces of bacon on this BLT. And my producer made me eat it on air. I There's an actual photograph of me wrapped around my mouth trying to get this sandwich live during a football game on ESPN. And the worst part about it was is that Mike Moore and Chris Doreen were my play-by-play and my analyst. And they got with my producer. And after I did it, they went into replay and they telestrated it. It was absolutely – I was like, thanks, fellas. I really appreciate that. It was mortifying. So – Thanks, guys. Thank you. At least they didn't put it in slow mo. Oh no, they didn't. They did. They just. They just stopped it. And then Chris oh, was okay. how my. You know, he's like, look at her jaw unhinged. I'm like, I appreciate that. I was buddy. trying to save the moment. Thanks a lot. <laughs> my boyfriend at the time was like, oh my god. Good friends. Good friends. We all have them. Okay, last one. What are you proud of yourself for? I think being compassionate. Yeah. Where do you think that kind of compassion has come from? My upbringing. Yeah. My parents. Yeah. I uh, grew up in Montana and just, it, it, they taught me you're, you may not have the things other people have or the money that other people have or the path that other people have. However, treat everybody kind of golden rule the way you want to be treated and just have to have compassion for people it's especially now we're we're all in a in an era where i think people fight a lot of demons and you you don't you never never know what people are going through and so being compassionate and 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 kind i think is is huge the golden rule in the motto i love it guys we're taking one last break then Jill is answering your questions. Stick around. Welcome back inside How She Did It. Still here with Jill. She hasn't left yet. And now she is answering <laughs> your questions. So, Jill, Tim Marushi would like to know any tips for settling the nerves? Be prepared. The more prepared you are, the more you know your stuff. When the light goes on and they're counting you in or you're getting ready to go, we all get, we all get excited. I don't call it nervousness. Use it as anxiousness to propel you into really good energy, but be prepared. The more prepared you are going into your broadcast or your on cams or whatever you're doing, the more confidence you're going to have and you're not going to feel that way. Okay, next up, Steph Mards would like to know 
Jill, who is someone that has been an influence in your career? Wow, I've got a lot. Um, Amy Leone, she right now is currently one of the heads at Fox. Um, she has been by my side through a lot of this. Um, my coach, Cliff Revelto, my track coach at K-State, he has been um, huge in, in a lot of the decisions that I make. Um, you know, my family, uh, they've, Lord knows I've been the black sheep and they've supported every single thing that, that I have been through. Um, and, and honestly, you know, just my producers that, that I've come across in my career that have been, they, they champion me, you know, they, they really do. Um, Dan Steer, who is now at NBC was at ESPN. He was the one that gave me my shot. And, and uh, had put my name in the hat to get hired when I got hired. So th those people have been pretty instrumental in my career. After you got that opportunity, mm -hmm. you know, you've been working, you're waiting for it, and then it's there. What mm -hmm. was that initial feeling like? Um, I'm not going to lie. I actually, I got a call from Jay Levy, who is no longer at ESPN either. Um, and they offered me my very first basketball game. And he called me on a Friday. I'll never forget this. It was in January. He called me on a Friday and offered me uh he's like we'd like for you to come in and do a basketball game and i'm thinking great and he said um i said well which game is it and he said it's wisconsin at michigan state and i'm thinking that's big 10 hoops that's huge and i said okay great you know when is it and he's like tuesday and i said perfect i'm thinking it's like three or four tuesdays down the road and i said absolutely no problem i would love to thank you so much you know which tuesday he said this tuesday <laughs> it was friday and that was the package that Aaron Andrews had left and that I got put on. And so I had three days to prepare mental. I mean, I literally, my, I hit my, my knees on the floor. I literally, when he said this Tuesday, I, I fell to my knees and I'm like, careful what you wish for. Here we go. And <laughs> so that, that was, that was a moment. It was, it was crazy. And I went and I mean, I think I did a good job. They kept me around. Is that one of those moments where you talk about, you know, you do all this work and you put in the time so that you're prepared for when that opportunity yeah. comes? Is that how you felt? 100%. I had 72 hours and I was going network air prime time and I had never been there before. And it was, it was sink or swim, baby. That's kind of crazy. One day you're doing something and then the next. Yeah. And it, was, it, was literally like, it was like five o'clock on a Friday that I got the call and it was Tuesday and I had to, I had to call travel and leave on that, that late Sunday night. It was insane. Okay. Last question comes from Swashbucklers okay. and they say, what is something people maybe don't know about you? <laughs> um, I don't watch. What is it? Why are you laughing? I don't. Yeah, yeah, this, 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 this. What kind of rating? What kind of rating do we get on this show? That's true. Um, this, let's like keep it like PG, maybe. 13. No, so no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, I don't watch a lot of television. I watch sporting events and I other, you know, obviously a lot, a lot of sports uh, broadcasts because I'm always looking either for my clients or other stuff. Um, I am a closet fan of Judge Judy. Interesting. I am a closet fan of that woman. I, it, it, whenever I'm home, if I'm home and I can catch that, I will, I will watch it for two hours. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just, it's the, and it's like the trashiest thing. But I love Judge Judy. And by the way, I found out she is, I believe, I'm, I'm probably going to misquote this. She is the number one highest paid 
prime time personality on television right now. She makes like $15 million a year or something. It's something ridiculous. And I was like, go on, girl. She, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a closet judge Judy watcher. Have you ever gotten to meet her or been to a show? No. No. Do you foresee that? I foresee that in my No, no, I don't, I don't think you I would want to. I mean, if I saw her at an event or something, I, I might go up and fangirl on her a little bit. But no, I just, I, she's just, she's just a shark. And the way her delivery is, it, for, for whatever reason, I, I will watch that show, uh, like, just back to back. Okay. You go get that 15 mil and, and sit on your <laughs> judge stand. Jury's yeah. out. I yeah. love it. Jill, thank you so much for making time to be on the show today. I really appreciate it. It's been such a treat getting to know you better. So thank, thank you. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you. This has been wonderful. And, and anybody that, that, you know, just one last parting thing, anybody that is thinking about doing this business, keep going. No matter what, keep going. You will feel in your heart and in your gut when it's time that it's not going to work out for you. Don't let other people influence you by telling you no. Just keep working at what you do and become better at it all the time. Certain things will be ha that will happen. It will be surprising to you. Uh, well, thank you for waiting till the final moments to make me teary-eyed and cry. We can go now. <laughs> it's my pleasure. So, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in this week for How She Did It. For Jill Montgomery, I'm Amanda Smith. We'll catch you next time. Bye.